With their new Epic Speed Driver, Callaway is framing the future of speed. Using a jailbreak speed frame structure that connects the sole and crown, they've reduced the head's twisting and deformation at impact. This means more energy stays in the driver face and transfers to the ball. More energy to the ball means more ball speed. Who doesn't want more ball speed? Jailbreak speed frame is in the forgiving Epic Max, the Epic Speed, and the tour-preferred Epic Max LS. Explore Epic Drivers at CallawayGolf.ca. Could a federal bill really seek to regulate your cat videos on YouTube or dance challenges on TikTok? Will it control what you see when you log on to popular streaming sites? That's been the concern as MPs have debated Bill C-10, which updates Canada's Broadcast Act. But what will the bill actually do? I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. National Post political reporter Anya Karadeglia joins me to discuss the overall intent of the bill, concerns over what it will regulate, and the government's communication missteps in promoting the bill. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Anya, for weeks there have been headlines about the federal government's Bill C-10, talking about the need to modernize the Broadcast Act to regulate big tech. We can drill down on some of the specifics in a bit, but what is the broad purpose of this bill? The broad purpose is to review the Broadcasting Act and update it for the first time in 30 years. So obviously, the landscape has changed uh, over that time when it comes to how we you know, watch TV and consume content. So the idea behind the bill was to allow the CRTC or to enable the CRTC to kind of bring online platforms like Netflix into its regulatory sphere. So right now we have lots of rules around Canadian content on broadcasters and you know, cable companies. Like Broadcasters have to obviously show a certain amount of Canadian content. Companies have to make financial contributions to the CanCon system. And the idea behind C10 is to kind of set up the CRTC to do the same thing for Netflix or Amazon Video Prime or any other streaming service. Why do the liberals say that we need this legislation now? And broadly speaking, what kind of platforms does it apply to? I know you mentioned a couple there, but like how broad does this go? I mean, the reason they're doing it now is it's the same thing that I mentioned just now is that the broadcasting environment, just think about how much it has changed in the past 30 years. Right, the way that we watch TV and watch movies and listen to music is totally different than it was, I mean, even 10 years ago. So to so think about what it was like 30 years ago. So they say it's, it's you know, past time to update this. And it's part of the government's wider effort to kind of take on big tech and big digital companies like Google, like Netflix. So when it comes to what platforms it applies to, it's part of where it's all gotten tricky. They uncontroversial part of it is that it would apply to online streaming platforms like, like I said, Netflix, uh, Amazon Prime, also audio streaming, music streaming like Spotify, for example. Now, where and how it starts applying to platforms like Google, Facebook, potentially TikTok, that kind of thing is where it's all gotten a little bit complicated. One of the things that I've been seeing in all of the coverage of this and in reading the stories and even seeing the minister do interviews is there seems to be not a great bit of communication. Like the, the government isn't doing a good job of communicating the intent and what's in the bill. And they seem to be running into controversy surrounding that. Like, 
where is it that they've kind of dropped the ball? Where have they run into trouble? What facets of the bill are they having a hard time spelling out for people? I mean, I think what it all comes down to is kind of how all of this went down. This bill has been, it was introduced back in November. There weren't any particular issues with it. Committee, the government was moving along with it. Committee was moving along with reviewing it with no big problems. Mm -hmm. So when we had this amendment, where, where this all started is when the government removed an exemption for user-generated content. This was a few weeks ago. And then that kicked off this entire controversy. And I think part of the reason that the government hasn't been communicating on this is that everybody has had a little bit of trouble because this is quite complicated because of the way that it happened. So we have this amendment. So the significant change that was made to this legislation by an amendment in committee. And it takes a little while every time there's a change kind of for the government and for the opposition to kind of figure out what it means or where they stand on it. When this exemption was uh, first put in place at committee, the conservatives voted against it, but it wasn't because of freedom of expression. Nobody brought up freedom of expression issues when this amendment was first proposed. Mm -hmm. It was when experts kind of said, hey, this is what it does. This is a concern that then the opposition parties kind of started talking about it. So I don't know if it's just part of the way that the conversation is happening. It's that the government has also, this wasn't their original plan. This kind of came out of nowhere. And then I don't know if they were expecting the kind of backlash that they got. So it all seems like it's been happening on the fly a little bit on everybody's part. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, one aspect that may be playing into some of the communications issues that have been happening there. Why did they remove the amendment that gave an exemption to user-generated content? And why would the government even want to give the CRTC the power to regulate the content that Canadians are posting online? The idea behind this bill, it's the government maintains, you know, the idea wasn't to all of a sudden make sure that the CRTC can regulate content Canadians post. I don't think that the CRTC has any particular interest in all of a sudden regulating what we all post on social media. I don't want to say, say that it was, it was an accident, but it was a consequence of removing this amendment that we've been talking about. The way that that happened is that there was this exemption that said, uh, you know, CRTC can't regulate user-generated content. So that's, you know, content that you would, you or I might post to TikTok or YouTube or social media, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. So then stakeholders in the cultural industry, especially the music industry, they wanted to make sure that platforms like YouTube would still be captured under the CRTC's regulatory power. They wanted to make sure that the CRTC could apply CanCon rules to them. So then they said that this was a potential loophole. The government agreed and removed this exemption. But of course, according to critics, in removing this loophole, they've opened up like a huge loophole instead. Following all of that controversy, an amendment was put in to try and address that issue, but that even failed to address concerns. What were people saying about that step in the process? So the new amendment that was put in limits the powers of the CRTC or the powers that the CRTC can exercise over social media. So it says that the CRTC can force these platforms like YouTube to provide information. It can force these platforms to pay into the CanCon system. And the key one is that it can put in place discoverability requirements. So the idea behind discoverability is to promote CanCon, is to make sure that, you know, people who are on these platforms are presented mm -hmm. Canadian content when they go on it. So a lot of critics, um, you know, are saying, well, that's still 
a free expression issue because all of a sudden it's the government determining what you see when you go online, right? Yeah. The concern is that when you go on YouTube, it's a CRTC saying like, this is what you see when you go on the internet, that that is a free speech issue. Now, the minister himself, Stephen Guilbo, has further muddied the waters by suggesting it's not people with small YouTube audiences that could be covered under this bill, but people with big audiences and then, you know, they're making money off these platforms. But then he tried to walk it back and said, well, you know, his office said he misspoke. What is it about this issue that has tripped him up so much? And I mean, why would even the government want to target people with big audiences to begin with? Where that specific statement came from, your guess is as good as mine. I'm not quite sure why those statements were made in the first place. I think that that goes back to what we were talking about and the issues government has had communicating on this kind of the whole time. I'm not quite sure what the issue overall is, but I think that one of the problems is that the government has had trouble addressing criticism directly and addressing the substance of the criticisms. Now, some of the critics say that, you know, they say, oh, the minister doesn't understand his own bill. That's their take on it. Mm -hmm. But the government has not, or at least as I've observed, it's kind of like the two sides have been talking past each other on this the whole time. The government maintain has been talking, for example, uh, saying, well, you know, the bill doesn't have any implications for freedom of speech because the CRTC doesn't regulate individual Canadians. Like, it can't force me or you to go to Gatineau for a hearing. That's, the bill doesn't allow that. Yeah. But the criticism is not that. The criticism is that it allows the CRTC to regulate content or that it now allows the CRTC to regulate what we see online. Mm-hmm. But then the government kind of sticks to its original talking points It's like the two sides are kind of talking about two totally different things somehow. People who are familiar with the regulatory process and with the CRTC, they've been weighing in on this. What are the experts saying about this bill? So it's really the experts that have kind of raised the alarm here and led to all of this. I think that, you know, if it wasn't for them, I think that this whole controversy probably wouldn't have happened. And by experts, I mean people like University of Ottawa professor Michael Geis and former CRTC vice chair Peter Menzies. They were the ones that first raised the alarm and said that removing this exemption implicates freedom of expression for all the reasons that that we've been outlining. And then, you know, people like the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, their stance is now that the new amendment that the government has put forward where, you know, CRTC's powers are limited to discoverability, that it's an improvement, but that it's still a problem. And then you have a number of experts like these saying, you know, the government really needs to go back to the drawing board here. You have people like former CRTC chair, Conrad von Finkenstein, saying, you know, the government should really just go back and redo this bill, for example. Now, other than the government, I've seen some people come out in defense of it. What's the main argument that they're making to say, look, this bill is important. We need this to go forward. So this is generally people who are concerned about the Canadian cultural sector, about what's, you know, making sure that our filmmakers and musicians have the kind of support that they need to keep the CanCon system going. Because um, like we were mentioning at the beginning, the current CanCon system, that those supports and those financial contributions are all coming out of the traditional industry, which is obviously a smaller piece of the entire entertainment media consumption ecosystem. So they're very concerned that if the Broadcasting Act isn't modernized and platforms like Netflix or Spotify are not brought into the CanCon system, that Canadian artists and creators are not going to have the kinds of supports that they need. 
One of the arguments that I saw against the opposition to the bill is that if the bill is so problematic, couldn't opposition parties who hold a majority on committees because we're in a minority parliament, couldn't they just amend it at committee and make it better there? That's what's been happening. It's been being amended at committee. Theoretically, yes, that can still happen. The challenge with that kind of goes back to what uh, I mentioned earlier about the complexity of this is that, you know, these are MPs, they're very familiar with the bill, they've been doing a study, but they're not communications lawyers specializing in internet law and broadcasting, for example. Mm -hmm. So as these amendments have been put forward, and then counter amendments, etc., the MPs on the committee are looking outside to try to interpret what's happening. So I've been watching these committee meetings, and you have the government putting forward an amendment, for example, and then you have MPs going on Twitter to see what uh, Professor Geist is saying about it online, because they need that input from experts to be able to interpret what anybody's doing with this bill. Mm -hmm. So yes, yes, they could, uh, but it is all quite complicated. This has been going on for several weeks, and the news relating to this bill doesn't seem to stop. Earlier this week, the bill was kind of put on hold so they could review it. What's the process involved with putting a bill on hold and who is reviewing it and what happens next? What happened is that the committee put a pause on the work that it's been doing, going through the bill clause by clause and making amendments in order to send the bill back to the justice minister for an updated charter statement. So charter statements are documents put out by the justice minister for government bills that review you know, any implications that a potential government bill might have on Canadians' rights under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So the original charter statement for Bill C-10 specifically cited the exemption, that section 4.1, that was removed by the government. So opposition parties said, experts are saying there's freedom of expression issues here. Let's send this back to the justice minister for a second charter statement. And then eventually there was some back and forth over the details, but the government agreed to that. And then that passed code. I'm not even sure it's, it's public yet, but I do have a copy of it. And the justice minister has said that because the amendments that the government has put forward don't change its initial opinion, that kind of some of the limits that the government has put in place on the CRTC's powers are sufficient and that the bill doesn't violate freedom of expression, essentially. So what is the next step for the bill? Are MPs still debating it at committee and then it will go back to the House of Commons for approval or is there another step to the process? That's it. As part of the process of sending it for a second charter review, the committee also agreed to invite some more experts and also the heritage and justice ministers to the committee. So we're going to have those ministers appear at the committee. The committee will then go back to amending this clause by clause. At that point, we may, as you asked earlier, see the opposition parties introduce amendments of their own to try to address some of these issues. So then the committee will continue going through the bill. And once they've agreed on a final version of the bill, it goes back to the House of Commons. We'll be following this closely as we go through the process and see what winds up in the final version of Bill C-10. Anya, thanks for your time. Thank you so much. 10-3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest Anya Karadeglia. More from her at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.